Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Normally after a game, like we saw on Sunday, I would come in here and hit you with a Russell Crowe, are you not entertained? But I don't even need to ask this time because it's pretty clear that you were all entertained. And now the numbers back it up. 123.4 million viewers on average. That made it the most watched television program ever. Like ever, ever. Not the most watched football game ever. Or the most watched sporting event ever. The most watched television program ever. That's quite a statement. Thanks, Jeff. That helps. So who was the biggest star of the biggest television program ever? A lot of good choices. Plenty of options. Obviously, you want to start with the best player on the planet, Mr. Mahomes, Mr. MVP, Mr. Inevitable. Inevitable. Like, this dude is so inevitable. He now has his own inevitable alarm, which we debuted yesterday. Inevitable. I'll just lay out and let you enjoy it. Inevitable. Now, you could also argue that his tight end, thanks, Alvy, his tight end is even more famous or at least more visible right now. And you can even argue that his tight end's girlfriend was the true star of the most viewed television program ever. You could. Swifties, you do not have to swarm my mentions. I already know your answer. That. I'm sure some of you would even argue that Usher was the star of the show. But to me, I've got a different take. To me, the biggest star on Sunday was the biggest dude. To me, the star of the most watched television show of all time was a fellow L.A. native. A dude I could arguably, easily run into at Javier's in about a month. To me, the biggest star on Sunday was none other than Big Red. The artist, formerly known as Andrew Ryad, from the punt, pass, and kick competition back in the day. You remember when my dude Andrew Ryad towered all those other little kids for all the credit my guy Andy Reid gets he almost does not get enough as an example the job that he did with his team this year is not getting enough love considering it might have been the single best coaching job of his entire career considering the fact that KC looked ready to crash and burn midway through that season they had no wide receivers who could catch the ball from the best quarterback on the planet, they had a potentially severe distraction going on with the tight ends, social life. They lost to the Raiders on Christmas Day. I mean, enough said, right? The Raiders did them. At that point, the Chiefs were 9-6. and six. The Vultures were out. You clones would not stop sending me emails and ex-posts about how T-Swift was Yoko Onoing the Chiefs. You know who you are. You know who you are who sent me that nonsense. 
Those takes have all aged about as well as Yoko's recordings have. I love that song. Oh, I love that song when it comes on. Said nobody ever. Anyway, somehow, somehow Big Red rebuilt that team on the fly. He rebuilt that thing on the fly late in the season. Do you know how hard that is to do? And then he brought that thing on the road in the AFC playoffs, where they had not been. Then he brought that thing to Vegas, and then he walked away with a Lombardi that the haters thought that they had no chance at, like, I don't know, six weeks earlier. So, yes, this is, in fact, an Andy Reid appreciation segment right off the top. I appreciate the dude, and I appreciate also, most importantly, he's not going anywhere. Nowhere. Turns out all those rumors and reports and whispers and speculation about a sudden retirement if he were to win so he could walk it off were based on nothing. Because yesterday, Reed confirmed that he would be back next year and that he was not the one thinking about retirement. He was not the one thinking retirement. We all were. Why not um, ride off into the sunset at this point for you? You know, Adam, I, I honestly haven't even thought about it, but I get asked it. I mean, I'm still kind of in awe of the, the game and, and what went on there. So um, I really haven't thought why or what or anything else, but people keep asking me. And I, I keep saying, why did Belichick and Pete retire? You know, those guys, they ask those old guys a question, but I'm, I'm the old guy now. Well, thing is, my dude. Those guys actually didn't retire, which I'll get to in a minute. But to his point, I mean, right? The hell would this guy want to shut it down for right now? Why? For who? For what? Why? Yes, he's now the oldest active head coach. So I guess they have to always ask the oldest guy, hey, man, you ready to retire? You done? But who's looking to retire a dude who is one of the best to ever do it, and is still on top of his game. Not me. And most importantly, not him. You see, that is the big difference between Hoodman, Gum Assassin, and Big Red. Hoodman, those guys are not retired. Hoodman wants to keep coaching. It's just that nobody wants him. The speed-talking gum murderer wanted to keep going in Seattle. It's just that Seattle did not want to keep going with him. That's the opposite of the current situation in Kansas City. Why the hell would he want to leave? Why the hell would they want to see him leave? It makes no sense. Why leave right now? All these questions about, hey, hey, Andy, it doesn't make any sense. Make that make sense. Hey, Andy, are you ready to retire? The hell would I retire for? I'm presiding over a dynasty. Why would he leave when he's coaching the best player in the world and maybe the best player of all time? Why would he leave after he just did one of the best coaching jobs of his career when he's one of the best to ever do it? Why would he leave when he has a chance to come back and do something that has never been done in the history of the sport and three-peat? I mean, seriously, 
that alone is enough justification for doing it at least another year, run it back for the three-peat. But even if he doesn't get that three-peat, why stop there? A year from now, Mahomes is still only 29. What is the rush? Man, why is everybody rushing this guy off? He's loving his life. He's loving his job. He's loving his team. Why do we have to try to push him to walk away right now? You know, it would be great if we would just stop asking the question because clearly the guy is not spending any time any time at all on that question. And really, what is there to think about? What is there to think about? He said it himself. I haven't really thought about it. Right. What is there to think about? I mean, I'm not up in this guy's head, but I bet I can tell you exactly what his thought process was. Here's Andy's thought process. Patrick Mahomes is my quarterback. I love this team. We have a chance to do something that's never been done. There, thought about it. See you in a few weeks. That's as much thinking as he needs to do on this one. Hey, and by the way, the man's star power also extends to his comedy. Never mind being a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant head coach and leader and motivator. Check out this guy's comedy act. Check out this guy's post-game appearance on NFL Network with his wife. I joke about her. She had five kids and it completely ruined my body. I'm not sure what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Extremely well done. He's the best. Quote, she had five kids and it completely ruined my body. I'm not sure what happened. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. (laughs) that's not one of those fake laughs that you do like on a morning show or a set i mean like that's legitimately funny she had five kids and it ruined my body how can you not like this guy who doesn't like this guy for real does anybody have anything bad to say about big red you got a problem with big red you got a problem with you trust me you're the problem he's not If you do, however, because somebody always does, somebody always has a problem with everybody. No names mentioned, James Kelly. Everybody except the Shanahans, and he's still crying about that. If you've got a problem with Big Red, I don't need to hear it because I don't have a single bad thing to say about the man. I love the man. He's a legend. If you've got a problem with him or you've got a problem with me saying what a great guy he is, turn off your station. Right, Mike? I can bring this thing full circle. Check out the text that he sent Antonio Pierce this week referencing that Raider ass-kicking on Christmas. Peter King had this, quote, I appreciate, this is the text that he sent to AP, quote, I appreciate you kicking our tail because you taught us a lesson. You get complacent in this business. The margin between winning and losing is tiny. You better step up. There's a time and place for these players that have been here before. You know what it takes. If you're the veteran that's dropping the ball or you're the veteran getting the penalties, you better figure it out. Figure it out quick. This season's going to go down. 
End of quote. So there you have it. Big Red actually thanked AP for, quote, kicking our tail. End of quote. Hey, you know what? Raider Nation, you got that going for you. The autumn wind is a Raider. But apparently, also a chief. At least part chief. Because you guys helped your rivals to back-to-back Lombardis. KC even got to practice at your fancy facility last week. So, congrats, Raider Nation. You did it. Well done, Alvin. Alvy. Alvy, stopping on a dime. We did it! We did it! You did it, Raider Nation. Sort of. Well, not really. Well, not at all. But you helped. Kind of. Not really. Not at all. Future's looking up, though. It is. It is. You got AP. I had an incredible conversation with Max Crosby last week from Super Bowl. It is looking up. I mean, think how far you've come. John Gruden had that team bus do victory laps in the Arrowhead parking lot after a regular season win. And the legend Big Red just won a Super Bowl in your actual house. I say 50-50. Go figure. Anyway, what I'm trying to say to you is that text and that punchline about his wife and that coaching job on Sunday and that coaching job this season, they all contribute to Big Red's legend. And that legend, like his waistline, is still growing. And I say that with all the respect in the world, which is why there is absolutely no reason for him to walk away right now. I guess what I'm really trying to say is... And he already decided himself, run it back. 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 How can you not? I almost feel like posting up at Javier's and just waiting. I know he's going to show up here at some point. You know, as, as well as he and I have done over the years, I think I once tried to take a run at it. Like, Coach, I know you got a house out here. I have a general idea where that house might be. What's up, Andy? When do you come out? What's up? And he he was very, very polite about not telling me. So I think what I need to do is just go to Javier's Crystal Cove and just post up for the next four to six weeks. I know I'll run into him. I know he's going to come here at some point. (laughs) Well done. You know, and I would never, ever, ever. I'm not like this. I'm not this guy. I'm not this guy. I would never. I don't have any moles. I... Javier's, to me, is like this sacred place. Come on, Rome, it's a restaurant. No, it's the best restaurant. But I I have immense respect for Javier, for the restaurant, for the brand, and for the people who work there. What I'm saying to you is I have no moles. I have nobody who would tip me off. I don't. I would never do that. I would never do that. It's a good idea. But I just, I would not take advantage of it because I hold it in such high regard. It would be very easy for me because I've got friends, as you might imagine, at all their restaurants because I love them. It'd be very easy for me to say, hey, yo, 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 can you maybe tip me off when my guy's there? But it'd be so wrong. He'd, he'd see right through it. And he'd be like, yo, yo, Romy, come on, man, really? So I have no choice but to just go to Javier's every day for the next, I don't know, 60 days until the big fellow is there.
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell, it's good to have you back on. Thanks so much. Always good to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Great. I'm awesome. Thanks so much for doing it. Sorry I'm late. So you were part of the Chiefs team that overcame a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter to beat the Niners in the Super Bowl four years ago. I'm curious, what was your level of confidence Sunday that Casey would turn that trick once again when they fell behind 10 early on? It was high. I was slightly worried because the offense – started looking a little bit like kind of the, you know, quote unquote old chiefs of before uh, this, this playoff run. And so I was worried that they might kind of regress a little bit into what it felt like in November and December when they were struggling and the frustration would come up. But the, I mean, it's just awesome to see the resilience, the ability to push through that. And I think, you know, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime, I think everybody knew that once Mahomes got his hands on the ball, he was going to go down and score. So it was fun to watch. It's uh, a lot more nerve-wracking on the opposite side when you can't be on the field, but you know, the confidence uh, for that guy to come through is always high. Always. Mitchell Schwartz joining us to that point. He now has three rings. He's got three Super Bowl MVPs. He's gone 15-3 and three in his postseason career. He's only 28. I mean, the guy's damn near inevitable, automatic on the biggest stage. Can you share what it's like to be in the huddle with this dude when the game is on the line? It's surprisingly normal. It's you know, I think that's maybe the biggest indicator for him is that he doesn't make the situation anything bigger than it needs to be. There's obviously a, a greater sense of urgency. There's a, hey, guys, let's go. You know, we got to go score to win the game. Um, but there's not a wishy-washy, oh, we can do this. And there's no, you know, kind of hoping that it's going to happen. There's just a, hey, this is what we're going to do. And let's go down the field and make it happen. And so there's, you know, that confidence in himself, that confidence in his teammates, uh, because for him, it would have been very easy to you know, lose trust and lose confidence in the guys around him. You know, he had the most drop passes from the receiver core of anyone in the NFL this year. Uh, there's some you know, bad offensive line play throughout the year and even in the beginning of that game. Uh, but again, he just he has a pure belief in himself and the guys around him. And uh, that huddle on the last drive, it just uh, it feels like most other huddles, you just know that you really do have to go down and score to win. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to not only his incredible talent, but he's a great, great leader. He's not pointing the finger. He's keeping everybody together. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. And then on the other side, Mitchell, shock of all shocks, Chris Jones was blowing stuff up, being disruptive as can be, especially late in the game. You used to match up with him in practice. What makes that guy the game record that he is? Yeah, he's incredible. So what makes him so special is that he is incredibly strong. And so if you go back and you look at some of the pre-draft reports and some of just the kind of general defensive line reports on, on guys who watch film and stuff, they'll tell you that he plays high. And, you know, you're not supposed to play high. But he can play high because he's so strong and because he understands leverage. You know, there's a, a little bit of a misconception that, you know, where a guy's head is determines exactly kind of his leverage point. Like Chris's hips are always low, his hands are in a great position. He's got so much natural body strength that he can afford to, you know, not have the, the flexibility per se of some of these other guys that, that need to do it to get the leverage. And so if you use your hands against Chris, he swipes them away. I mean, we saw that play early in the game where he destroyed the left guard in like a 
0.25 seconds and McCaffrey had to uh, come and save the day. And that was the pretty pass to the end zone to Debo that McDuffie had that awesome coverage that McDuffie jumped up and, and blocked away. And Chris had pressure in, you know, a quarter of a second because if you throw your hands against him, he's so skilled. And this is what gets lost in the Chris conversation. He's so skilled with his hands. He knows how to use them. He knows how to, you know, counter whatever the offensive line is trying to do. And then the next time you're going to think, well, man, I can't throw my hands against him because he's going to swipe them away. And then you don't. And all that strength comes right down. And he's able to walk you right into the quarterback. And, you know, again, in the Buffalo game, we saw that on the throw that Allen missed in the end zone. It was because he was, you know, walking back a 330-plus pound left tackle and Deion Dawkins, who's a heck of a player, into Josh Allen. And Allen gets bumped as he throws it. So Chris is able to pair up, you know, elite strength with elite hand usage and Whatever the offensive lineman tries to do, he's basically able to make you wrong. I love that. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. So, Mitchell, then you've got the big fellow himself, big red, Andy Reid, and there was a lot of speculation as to, you know, if the guy wins another one, he might walk it off. I mean, come on. Why? Why, why would you leave right now when you love what you do, you're doing as well as you are, you've got arguably the greatest quarterback ever, potentially? I mean, I can't think of one reason why he would. And then yesterday he said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not at all. I thought The Athletic had a really good piece today where they had a bunch of people telling their favorite Andy Reid story. Can you tell me what is it that makes this guy so unique, so good? And do you have a favorite Andy Reid story? I do. And so I'll tell the what makes him so great is he's able to combine a personality and like a human nature to how demanding he is and how much he expects out of people. And it makes for a really fun work environment because he's not someone that, you know, makes sure that everyone's doing everything to these exact natures every single time. And so you feel like you're given some leash and you're given some room to be yourself. You know, his biggest motto is be yourself, show your personality. He wants, you know, Travis to be who Travis is. He wants Pat to be who he is. Now, if you go a little bit too far, he's not going to be afraid to rein that back in. And that's where he, is so good is he's able to let guys express themselves, be themselves, have fun, enjoy every single day. And that's, that's really key. I mean, you want to love going to work every day. You want to love your job. And he fosters that kind of environment and he makes it really special um, between him and every single guy that, that he works with. And then that gets into my favorite story where, you know, he asked me if I ever had a chili Reno burrito before, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> I, I never even heard of. And uh, I said, no. And I guess he's got a place in his house in Southern California that's got these awesome chili Reno burritos. And he was saying that he tried to get the, the kitchen staff to make him one at the facility, and it wasn't quite the same. So he just uh, he waits till he's back home to, to eat it. And I thought that was so perfect because, again, it's like that he loves the food, but it's also the attention and detail that, like, he knew enough about the dish to try to get them to recreate it and to like, kind of, like, show them the way. Um, so, of course, my, my favorite story with him involves food. I, I absolutely love that. I wonder if, if it was at Javier's. Do you ever work your way down here from the Palisades, from L.A.? Do you come down to Javier's? Well, actually, there are Javier's. There's one Century City. Have you ever gone? I have not, um, but that might be. I know he's he's down your way a little bit. He is, and then he won't tell me anymore. I, I ran into him once at the restaurant, and I've known him a while, but you know you know how the big fellow is. I, I didn't want to pry, but I took one shot at it, and he kind of very politely shut me down. I let it go at that, but I love that. It's, it's great that it's a food story. To your point, though, that his attention to detail is legendary. I mean, does he really have everything still on three-by-five note cards? Like, how would you describe that attention to details? Yeah, and the 3x5 note card is actually 
a little bit of a maybe juxtaposition against the attention to detail because he his team meetings are incredibly quick. So his philosophy is if I need I shouldn't need to speak to the team about something that I can't put on a three by five note card. Mm. You know, I'm not going to have these 15, 20, 30 minute team meetings, which I loved. You know, I came from Cleveland. I had three head coaches in four years, a lot of new head coaches and they're trying to establish culture and they want to have meetings every day and they want to talk to you. And, you know, eventually the message might get lost a little bit and it becomes repetitive. And, you know, coach Reed has in the off season program, maybe three or four team meetings, you know, one at the beginning of each of the phases to kind of explain the rules and, after that, he doesn't really need to talk to you. He sets the rules. He sets the expectations. And he doesn't want that team meeting to drag on. And that, you know, again, kind of counters how detail-oriented he is, how much uh, he puts into every single thing he does. And I think on the field, in terms of, you know, just kind of a general schematic thing, you look at his success on screens over his entire career. That was something I knew of him from the Philadelphia years and getting to, to work under him, how detail-oriented he is on exactly – where he wants to run him back to catch it, how he wants him to turn up field, where the linemen are supposed to be, you know, which guys are going to be here, how he's uh, drawing up the play to make sure the receivers are also part of the screen and they have to be running the routes in a specific way to, to draw coverage away from it. And so, yeah, the, the screen game, I think, is the biggest testament to his attention to detail on the field. Love it. Really quickly, Mitchell, what do you think? How likely is a three-peat? We know it's not going to be the same team next year. How likely do you think a three-peat is? Man, it's just it's it's so hard to to bank on NFL teams winning a Super Bowl because so much can happen. Um, guys can get hurt and all that. But to what Mahomes said after the game, I mean, it's like the youngest team in the league. One of them, the defense is incredibly young. Uh, the O line is coming back mostly intact. You could maybe sign Donovan, or you could play a, a rookie in Wanya next year who got some good time on the field. Um, you know, I'm guessing they're going to upgrade at the receiver position in a couple key spots. And so you're looking at you know, a defense that could come back, you know, mostly intact. They've got Chris Jones and Legarius Need, two guys that uh, are going to get paid, whether it's in Kansas City or somewhere else. But the foundation's there. They got the head coach. They got the quarterback. Um, you know, if I was putting my money on it, I'd definitely say the Chiefs. But it's incredibly difficult to win two in a row. And, you know, winning three, I don't think it's ever happened. So it's going to be uh, fun for them to work through it and to, uh, you know, watch that. I know it hasn't happened. I mean, that's another reason to take a shot at it, and that's why he should come back. Mitchell Schwartz, he's got his ring. He's a four-time All-Pro. My man, you're a great follow on X. You're a great guest on this show. I appreciate you, Mitchell. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Always great to talk to you. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? He is Mike Silver. Mike, always good to talk to you. What's up, brother? How you doing? 
Great, Jim. How are you? Good, good, Mike. Great to have you. Thanks so much. So the headline for your latest column in the Chronicle reads, Why You Shouldn't Blame Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers Super Bowl Loss. Listen, I understand that you don't write the headlines for the paper, and I'm not putting this loss on him, but make your case for us. Why should we not put the loss on Kyle? Well, if you read the column, it's really in the context of his other Super Bowl uh, experiences. He was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, of course, in Super Bowl 51. He's, I believe, has received a disproportionate share of the blame for that 28-3 to lead that uh, disappeared in the third quarter and fourth quarter and the overtime loss to Tom Brady. That's on the head coach, but for whatever reason, uh, Kyle Shanahan and not Dan Quinn has kind of been the poster child for that. Uh, Four years ago against the Chiefs, they did have a 10-point fourth-quarter lead midway through the fourth quarter and lost that game. Uh, I I, I thought he coached a pretty good game. You know, two games ago, they beat the Packers in the first round. I I kind of criticized the way he coached it in-game. Didn't think he was getting after it. Uh, But in this one, look... Yeah, trick play touchdown. Uh, he really, uh, you know, went for it on the fourth and three in the fourth quarter, and that led to a touchdown. And then had the game managed perfectly at the end with that slow drive at the end of regulation. If they uh, convert that third and four, I think it was, uh, late in regulation after the two-minute warning, they bleed out that clock and probably kick a field goal at the very end. So. Uh, you know, sometimes you coach it well, and you get, you go up against Patrick Mahomes on a great defense, and it doesn't work out. But we all want to blame somebody. I would blame Patrick Mahomes for this one. I think that's all fair. Mike Silver joining us. And, Mike, what about the fact that much has been made of the new postseason overtime rules and how they may have impacted the outcome of the game? Where do you come out on Kyle's decision to take the ball to start OT? Do you have any issue with that? And then what do you make of his players, a number of them actually, saying they didn't even know about the new overtime rules? Well, it's it's a great debate, and I think it's a fair debate. Uh, and I've, I've gone back and forth. Uh, I think I'm on Kyle's side of it slightly, but it's a tough call. Uh, from his perspective, if you score and they match, then it's sudden death, and you absolutely want the ball uh, like it was the original overtime rules, right? You, especially against Patrick Mahomes. So if you score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, your ball at sudden death, save with two field goals. That's presuming that everybody goes for one and makes it. Uh, also, the defense was very tired at that point. So it keeps your defense off the field initially. The counter argument, and it's a good one, is uh, whatever you do uh, or whatever the team does that goes first, if you're second, that knowledge helps you. You know when four downs are in play. You know what you have to do. And you can always go for two, even if they score a touchdown, and settle it right there. I I think it's a pretty fair debate. I probably would skew on his side of it. Uh, As far as the second question and players not knowing, I'm on my way down there right now, and we're going to get to talk to to players. Honestly, I'm pretty surprised. Uh, I know how smart Kyle Shanahan is and how well-prepared that team is and how many smart players are in that locker room. Uh, It's bizarre to me that they would come out and admit that 
they didn't know the rule. And I will add this last part. The fact that players don't know the rule, and even I didn't know for sure that when that clock was ticking down at the end and Andy Reid wasn't calling timeout, that it would just toll to another overtime period. I think we need to improve the rule, and I've been saying this for a long time. If you can't explain to me in one sentence what the overtime rule is, it's a bad rule, especially with a Super Bowl on the line. I understand they've tweaked it because it hasn't been perfect. I still don't think it's perfect if we are having this conversation. You know, to that point, though, Mike, it it seemed like Kansas City had no trouble understanding the rule. Well, yeah, except Nicole Hardman apparently didn't know it because Patrick Mahomes said that when Hardman got the touchdown, he was, you know, baffled by the fact that it was uh, that kind of celebration. So, you know, look, your players don't necessarily have to know the rule because presumably they are trying desperately to score a touchdown or prevent it in any context. But um, it does sound like Andy Reid practiced that scenario as far back as training camp, and Kyle Shanahan didn't. So I think two things could be true. Uh, I thought Kyle coached a really good game. They were in position to win. And when you get into a tight game against Patrick Mahomes with those stakes, often or almost always Patrick Mahomes wins. But I I am curious to talk to some players right now because I'm very surprised that uh, Kyle Shanahan wouldn't have drilled that into them just as part of what he always does because his preparation is as good as there is in the league in terms of opponent-specific week-to-week game plans, and obviously this was a an element of, of that week. No, you and I are on the same page, Mike. I agree. I'm not saying that's why they lost. I'm saying it's kind of unfathomable to me that they didn't know the rules, but to McCole Hardman, I don't know that he knew the rule either, rule either because he said he blocked out, and watching him running around, <laughs> he didn't look like he blocked out. He looked like he didn't know the game was over, and then Patrick set him straight. And, Mike, to your point that if you want to blame somebody – blame Patrick Mahomes for being Patrick Mahomes. Let me ask you this. You've covered all the major sports. You've written a book, a number of books, but you wrote a book on Dennis Rodman. So if we're looking for a comp, say, between the NBA and the NFL, you know those great Bulls teams. Do you see a parallel between Michael Jordan and Patrick Mahomes when it comes to how ruthless they are in closing out games? Sure. I mean, I, I you know, Jimi Hendrix, like I'm looking for comps, you know, Who's the best of all time uh, in anything? And I'm not saying he's the best of all time yet, but he's on that level. Uh, You know, look, he's been a starter for six years. Twice he's lost in overtime of the AFC Championship game. Once when, under the old rules, Brady got the ball first and scored a touchdown, and that was after the D Ford neutral zone. Uh, once against the Bengals and Burrow, and then he lost one Super Bowl when his offensive line was decimated. Every other important game, he's won, uh, and that's crazy. Uh, he's 28 years old. His temperament is amazing. Uh, he's, as you said, ruthless like Jordan or Steph or uh, Brady or Montana and so many others, and his physical skills are also Jordan-esque. Uh, I, I don't know if it translated on TV, and I'm going to have to go back and watch, but I'm just going to tell you that ball he threw back across his body to Hardman right before the Pacheco fumble, 
uh, 52-yard completion from left to right, perfectly arcing into the receiver's arms with two DBs in the area. That's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen live. I, that, seeing it from those dimensions, it was unfathomable. And that's just one thing he did in this game. But I, I hope the people who got to experience it that live uh, agree with me because that was just uh, – I, I don't even know too many quarterbacks who would have attempted that throw, you know, your Elway, your Favre types. But to actually put it in that spot was uh, just wild. You know what it was? It was sublime. Mike Silver joining us. Hey, Mike, go back to that point about Hendricks. Since you mentioned him, let me ask you. Hendricks, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, Eddie Van Halen. Who am I missing? Is Hendricks on the top of that list? Come on, man. You you know we got to talk about Jerry, given my – uh, lineage. There are a lot of amazing other guitarists. I, I want to, you know, I would I would put Santana in there, uh, among others. But I, to me, Hendrix is the all-time great, and uh, to me, Montana is. But Brady's got the rings, and Mahomes is far from done. Mike, what is that? Is that partly generational? Like, you and I are close in age. We came up covering the same things. Man, we were in that Joe era. We were in that Joe era like a lot of people were in that MJ era and didn't understand MJ until they saw the last dance. There's something about Joe. Now, you're a Bay Area guy. You were close to it. Is that – are you being really objective? And believe me, I would love – Joe's my guy. I love Joe. Why Joe over Tom Brady? Well, two things. First of all, the magic. Uh, When it came to magical moments, uh, he is unsurpassed. And that started at Notre Dame. With the chicken soup game, it started in 19, or it continued in 1980 when they were down 35-7 to the Saints. We all know about the catch. There's the lost classic 83 NFC Championship game in Washington, brought them back from 21 nothing of the fourth, and then they lost on some dubious calls. Uh, the Super Bowl drive, the 92 yards, and, and a lot of others I'm not talking about. There was just a sense that the game was never lost. And then the second thing I would say, and and listen, Brady is the most ruthless competitor I've ever seen in football, and I'm not trying to say Brady's not the greatest. Uh, to me, the rules have changed so much, and this is a, similar to when we talk about the NBA, and you go, are we playing two-man ISO under the old zone defense rules, or is it today's rules where Steph has clearly uh, helped change it? Uh, under the rules that Joe Montana, Dan Marino, John Elway, Johnny Unitas, uh, Otto Graham, you know, those people played under, you could hit the quarterback after two steps. Receivers could be manhandled. And I think they would have it, – it's unassailable that they would have had better numbers and longer careers and fewer injuries uh, under today's rules. So I'm not saying, look, if – Dan Marino played today. He would have thrown for 6,000 yards, but he might have. Yeah, I was going to say he may have. He may have. No doubt. Mike Silver joining us. Mike, before you go, this was not conditional, but I saw this and I want to ask you about this. You're a partner at Backstage Media, as I mentioned, which develops unscripted content across numerous platforms, including Skywalker. It's a basketball doc on David Thompson. Now, those who are old enough to know or those who know, know, but what motivated you to work up a doc on David Thompson? What can you tell me about that? 
Well, you know, you, you, you go back to our era, right? Uh, you know, he was the Skywalker. He was kind of, you know, pre-Jordan, unbelievable athleticism. But, uh, you know, more than that, uh, he was the guy who beat Bill Walton in the Final Four, uh, improbably for North Carolina State. Uh, and then in the NBA, with a scoring title on the line, dropped 73 points uh, and, you know, was a Hall of Fame player, but also kind of got sucked into that tragic 80s, uh, you know, zone with the drugs and uh, helped, you know, helped facilitate his uh, demise as a player. And, and then there's kind of a happy ending. Uh, so it, it's a really great story, but... Uh, you know, before Jordan, there was Dr. J, there was David Thompson, there were people who were able to above the rim and, and elevate both figuratively and literally, and I think it's going to take people back to a, a time that was pretty cool. Scott Walker was incredible. Mike Silver is a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, also a partner at Backstage Media, and he's got a job to do, so I'm going to let you do it. Mike, great to have you on. Always appreciate you, dude. Thank you very much. Great job. Thanks a lot, Jim. Appreciate you. At Real IDH writes, hey, at Jim Rome, call it like it is. Kyle Shanahan's Super Bowl play calling was, quote, it's complete crap. It's a complete crap. I'd say it if I thought so. I'd say it if I thought it was true, but I don't. I I tend to think that it's not the right call not to defer in overtime. Kansas City, that, that played right into their hands. If they won the coin toss, they were going to defer. I think there's an inherent advantage. The argument against that is if you get the third possession and you score on the third possession, then you win. Okay, fair. My counter to that is you don't get a third possession if Patrick Mahomes gets the second possession. But even that, I don't think that's so egregious. Like that's not the hill I'm going to die on. I don't think that was so egregious. What I think is egregious is that so many of the players didn't know the rule. I don't know how you get to the Super Bowl and there's a new rule for the postseason and you don't know what it is. How can that be? How can that be? And how can that be when the Chiefs to a man were saying, we've been drilling it since training camp? Andy made a point of telling us the rule has changed. If, in fact, this happens in the Super Bowl, where we plan to be since we are the defending champs, this is how we're going to approach it. Their plan was to take the ball second and win if their opposition scored a field goal or go for two if the opponent scored a touchdown. So there is no third possession. They had a plan. They drilled it. Yet you had a number of 49er players, smart players, saying afterwards, going out of their way to say, we didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. Even Kyle, when he did that interview with Evan Washburn after the game, said, you know, hey, we want, I don't want to paraphrase it. Alvin, do you have that sound? He said, I didn't want to give Pat a chance to win it. So even Kyle himself initially After the game, listen to what he says. He himself sounds like he doesn't even know the rule. Love to score a touchdown there at the end, not give Pat another chance. Had our opportunity to get him off the field on fourth down. We didn't. Um, Pat's done that a bunch. Uh, He does it almost all the time. So uh, it was a hard battle, hard hard fought game. Um, Went a lot like we thought it would go. 
had our chances there and didn't get it done. We didn't want to give Pat a chance to win it. That's not the rule. You don't score and you win and you walk off. Love to score a touchdown there at the end, not give Pat another chance. Love to score a touchdown right there. You know, like, what, so why did you take the ball? Love to score a touchdown there and not give Pat another chance. Yeah, but if you get the touchdown there, if you get the touchdown there, Pat does get another chance. So I could argue, you know why so many of the 49er players didn't know the rule? Their coach didn't either. And how could so many 49er players not know the rule? Because their coach didn't tell them. It seemed like all the Chiefs knew the rule, except for maybe McCall Hardman, except for the guy that won the game. He didn't seem to know the rule. His argument was, oh, I blacked out. I don't know, my man, you seem pretty alert. They didn't seem like they were rushing you to the blue tent afterwards. No, I again, and I'm not even saying that's why they lost the game. I'm saying I can't believe they didn't know the rule. How could you get to the Super Bowl and not know the new overtime rule? Mike Silver made the point that, you know what? If that many guys didn't know the rule, maybe it's not a very good rule. Maybe they should simplify the rule. This is what Eric Armstead said. This is a prominent 49er. This is what he said after the game as it relates to the rule. I didn't even know about the new overtime, uh, playoff overtime rule, so it was a surprise to me. Um, yeah, I didn't even really even know what was going on in terms of that. I, I, they put it on this, the scoreboard, and everyone was like, oh, even if you score, they get a chance still. So That is astonishing. That is astonishing. Never mind a really, really good player saying, hey, man, I didn't even know the rule. I didn't know the rule until I looked up at the scoreboard and they put the rule up on the scoreboard. And then listen to the very end of that one more time. He's like, everyone didn't know. I didn't even know about the new overtime, uh, playoff overtime rule. So it was a surprise to me. Um, yeah, I didn't even really even know what was going on in terms of that. I, I, they put it on this, the scoreboard and everyone was like, oh, even if you score, they get a chance still. So. They found out from the scoreboard. That, that's when they found out about the rule from the scoreboard? And he's not the only one. He said everyone. Even Harvard-educated Kyle Juszczyk said, I didn't know. And trust me, he's really smart. It's not that it was too hard to decipher. He just didn't know. And I'm just saying, did that inform or did that determine the decision they made to take the ball? If your argument is, and then Kyle, by the time he got to the podium, he had kind of changed his story to, no, the reason we did that was we wanted the third possession. Again, I don't, I don't think that's egregious, but that's what he said. Meanwhile, here's what the Chiefs were saying. Here's what Chris Jones had to say about the rule. Two weeks. For two weeks, we talked about the new overtime rule and how we was going to... Um, Get a ball to the opponent. If we um, if they score, we was going for two at the end of the game. We kind of rehearsed it, and um, yeah. You tell me who's on top of the details. He said we we talked about it for two weeks. We rehearsed it. 
We knew exactly what we were going to do in that moment. And the Niners had no idea. You know what I wonder? I wonder if the Niners had scored a touchdown and not a field goal. How incredible would it have been if they started running around? I'm going to Disneyland. I'm going to Disney World. And they're looking. They're reaching up to the sky like, where's the confetti? Would would that have been so incredible if they scored a touchdown and were running around like they won the Super Bowl? Because none of them knew the rule. We did it. Finally. Tears streaming down. We did it. Gatorade bath for Kyle. Oh, man. That would have been so amazing. Defensive players who love Steve Wilkes carrying him around on their shoulders. Vindication for Steve Wilkes. Niners families getting on the field. And the Chiefs are like, what are you doing? Oh, man, that would have been incredible. That would have been so amazing if they had just rushed onto the field. Like, like, why are the Chiefs going back to field a kick? Why, why are there special teams on the field? Why is the kick return out there? Why are they not building up the podium? Where's Jim Nance? Why, why are they not interviewing us? Well, where, where are our shirts? Where are our caps? Jed, Jed, what's going on? Oh, man, that would have been so great. That would have been better than the game. That would have been better than anything in the game if the Niners actually scored a touchdown and thought they won and were celebrating on the field and had to clear the field. Yet then there's really no doubt that they didn't know the rule. Except there's no doubt that they didn't know the rule because they were saying they didn't know the rule. And don't get this twisted, Frisco fan. Don't say that I'm here to hate. I'm not. Your coach is brilliant. Your coach is a great play caller. Your coach is a great innovator. He's a great coach. And I think he did coach a good game. I do. I'm just saying, it's unfathomable to me that you could play in the Super Bowl and not know the overtime rule if you're playing or coaching in the Super Bowl. Everyone was like, oh, even if you score, they get a chance still, so... Ben in Driftwood has been trying to get on the air with this, so let me make some room for him right now. What's going on, Ben? How are you? Hey, Rome. I would have made this call yesterday, but I afraid he went full-on filibuster mode and sucked up all the airtime. Want to say congratulations to Chiefs Kingdom for the second Lombardi in 20 years, but Travis, you really lost your chance to make the perfect front-page story. It was perfectly scripted to take a knee on the podium and put a ring on Taylor Swift, but at least you hit up Coach Reed, right? Rome, I'll see you Thursday for a huge beef to kick it off on the X. Regulation War, Rick and Buffalo, I Frady, and Jeff and Richmond for giving Rome's pipe a full-on Usher halftime show. Overtime War, Pamela Anderson and Rome. Ah. That's not a good call. No. Hey, Ben. I don't like that call. I don't like that call. For however long you were on hold... And if you're complaining that you didn't get on yesterday because Iafrady took all of that time, you've been on hold for several hours, still not nearly long enough. What the hell did that call even mean? I can't decode your calls. Let's go to Compton. John in Compton. What's going on, John? How are you? 
Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, uh, thanks for taking my call. I just want to say uh, I cannot believe I heard this on your show. It's called situational awareness. Don't let the ball hit your foot. you got to be aware of your surroundings. Another thing is they didn't even get Kittle ignited. He was walking off the field saying, it's not my fault we lost. I had one play, one one yard. I couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking Shanahan is doing one or two things right now. Either he's in a smash room busting up furniture, glass, and TVs, or he's buried himself under Levi Stadium like crawling under a rock. They're probably going to have two-for-one corn dogs at Levi Stadium because when he said corn dog, he – they, they were laughing like, hey, they fell for that. They're so stupid. They fell for the corn dog play. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I just want to say thank you for having a great show and uh, keep it up. Bye. Good job, dude. Thanks for making that great show even better. You see, Ben, that's how you do it. John and Compton, keeping it real. Speaking of a great voice, Casey in LA. Casey, what's up, dude? Yo, what's cracking lacking, Jimmy Jam? What's up, man? How you doing? You make it back all right? I made it back all right, man. It was a fantastic week. Great seeing you. You had the hookup up there in front of the Bellagio, man. That was sweet, man. Dude, it was good to see you, too. How would you, how'd your week go? For the clones who did not know, Casey, what were you doing there? I was representing Dynamic Media Partners and Black Headline News, man. So I got a chance to kick it with Jim Harbaugh, Tony Dungy, Mike Singletary, Joe, I'm not mean green and Mel Blunt, Steeler legends, Eddie George, Ricky Waters, Anquan Bolden, and Malcolm Jenkins, who started the Players Association or, or the Players Coalition. It was all good, dude, in my neighborhood. Dude, that's man, you, great. What, what, what you just said, what if it would have been an alternative ending, man? You know, like those movies, you know, when you got one ending and you go, whoops, that's not how it really ended. We could have had an alternative ending, they'd have had to done it over again. That would have been ridiculously good to see that happen to the 40 Winers, man. Here's the deal. I tried to get in on Friday here to make my prediction because I called it exactly like it. The Niners have the best team, more talent. They're like, but you got that dude number 15 on the other side. Don't give him the ball last. Duh. Dude, Patrick Mahomes is a witch. In fact, I'm wrong. He's a freaking warlock, dude. I've seen this guy throw the ball every way possible. He can complete passes with his left hand. What do you think he is, the Harlem Globetrotters or something? What he's done to the quarterback position to revolutionize it is like Steph Curry revolutionizing three-point shooting. He has literally changed the game. I mean, yeah, the only two playoff games he's lost in his career were both Tom Brady teams. Other than that, He's won them all. Check this stat. Since 2019, the Chiefs are 7-1 and one in games trailing by 10 points, and two of those were Super Bowl victories. You have got to strangle this guy, put your foot on his neck until his eyes roll around in his head, and then you've got to do it over again. And there's nothing the 40 Winers could have done. They played a good enough game to win except – Number 15 ain't having it, and he's just getting started. He might end up being the GOAT. I know Tom Brady got more Super Bowls because he's played in more Super Bowls. That's the only way he has more. Mahomes, when he's done, might just obliterate them all, man. He can do things that nobody else can do. And Frisco fan found out about it firsthand. Uh, See you next year. You give him the ball at the end of the game. It is good night, Irene. Dude. 
Again, it was off the kitty to see you. The smack off is going to be ridiculous, and I'm calling my shot right now. Smack off number 30, KC James in the house. Late. Late. Rack him. You're invited, dude. You know it. The Rack oldest him. of the old school. It's great to see Casey. Saw a lot of clones there on the strip, but he was a working clone. Let's get one more quick one in here. Ryan, Tampa. I'm going to let you close the show. What's up, Ryan? How are you? Good, good. Appreciate it. I, I got to respectfully disagree. I believe uh, Andy Reid was the reason the Niners lost that game. I mean, how many times? It seems obvious to me when you watch one quarterback in Mahomes, who's great. I'm not taking anything away from Mahomes. But then you watch every time he throws it for years. I mean, it, Kelsey, wide open. Other guy was. Uh, Valdez Scantling, wide open, wide open, wide open. When was the last time you saw Mahomes thread the needle? I mean, then you look at Brock Purdy, every play he's throwing it to a guy blanket covered, and, oh, you missed him by an inch. You can't do that. You know, but um, to me, it's just, it was all Andy Reid. I'll appreciate it. Thanks. All right, see ya. Thanks for calling. That's how we started the show. He's not getting enough credit. Good night, night.